You're listening to Movies for Decades. Hello and welcome to this episode of Movies for Decades. It is the third episode in this podcast in which we watch a film from every decade starting in 1921 and we'll end up in the year 2021, which is the year we are recording. We got up to 1941, and the film that we watched for the year 1941 is entitled Citizen Kane. It's a fairly famous movie, and I feel like if you're going to do a podcast about a movie as famous as Citizen Kane. There are a lo- there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can do an entire. I didn't really mean to monopolize. No, go ahead. Okay. Do the intro, man. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, Let's I'm, introduce ourselves. I'm Helen Cottingham. Just real fast. I'm John Alby. I'm Colin Alby. Uh, I guess I'll continue this little soliloquy. Uh, you could do if you're gonna do a, a podcast on. Well, you could do a podcast miniseries on Citizen Kane. Entirely this movie, yes. Entirely this movie. You could do an entire episode on just Orson Welles. You could do an entire episode on William Randolph Hearst. You can do an entire episode on Herman Mankiewicz, especially now that there's a movie called Mankout that's pretty good. And... I kind of instructed or <laughs> asked y'all to maybe not do as much research. I wouldn't have done it anyway. Anyway, <laughs> partly because I kind of just want to talk about the movie. Because with a movie as famous as this, it's hard to just talk about the darn movie. Yeah, because I was thinking, and I guess I'm going to go straight against what you just said. I just couldn't help but wonder what the opinion of it was at the time. What was the reaction when it came out? I mean, oh, I, I can I can tell you a lot about that. Um, yeah, and and I would also say that please go ahead and y'all chime in here because I think one thing that's cool is that so the other two movies we've done none of us had seen. Right. This is a movie that everyone has seen. Well, like everyone, but like I'd seen at least three times prior to today and y'all had not seen helen i mean but I y'all had never not seen it yeah so it's it's kind of like i'm i'm actually sort of interested in y'all's thoughts on it as people who managed to avoid seeing it for all this time i managed to avoid spoilers like i didn't even know anything about the rosebud thing okay and that so is something people love to joke about so let me also just say i encourage if y'all have not seen the movie this is a we spoil things on this podcast and and part of my part of that the point of that soliloquy is that i actually want people i think people should see this movie mm-hmm. and get some things out of it and maybe have some non-spoilers or 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 not have too much information going into it so if you actually are curious about this movie i encourage you to hit that pause button and maybe watch this movie and then return and tell us we're wrong about our opinions on it. <laughs> and welcome back. You could, if you've paused it. So, I don't know. What do y'all want to talk about first? I, can... I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched something so overhyped or so hyped in general. It's. I feel like I've seen all of the big cultural <laughs> movies. You know, I feel like I've I've been exposed to a lot of the things people talk about as classics. And I'm not sure what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting the movie I just watched. I wasn't, it, it was weirder than I thought it was going to be. And it was, I don't know, I, I I was confused by it. I, it was a good kind of confused, but I was, uh, I didn't, I didn't quite know what to make of it. So what confused you? Like, certainly like, say what confused you first. Shoot. (laughs) I don't know. I guess just the pacing of it Mm -hmm. and the darting around. I don't know. I just felt like I was going to get into with a movie from 1941, something that happens very linear 
linearly and just sort of like we get introduced to this guy but it kind of pieces together uh-huh. in this what completely you don't ever see a movie that way where they build a character backwards and forwards and you're just more confused by about him the further you get in the movie yeah and and i'll also go ahead and sort of partially answer your first question which is that that non-linear storytelling is was very innovative for the time very ahead of its time and a lot of people i think a lot of audiences weren't really fans of it yeah and I think critics were a little bit like, okay, it's interesting. So there's that. There, yeah. there was a question I had about, along the lines of what the reaction was. This movie is lauded as being the first that did so many things, but what exactly were those things that it was the first? Because I goofily asked, was this the first biopic? And you were like, Helen, there's been biopics since the 1800s. This is not the first biopic. And I'm like, okay, fine. So what's it the first of then? And so first nonlinear? Sort of. I mean, there are two major things that this movie does that were innovative for the time, and it was very much ahead of its time. The two things are, of course, the nonlinear storytelling. The And even, I would say even for now, this movie is very freewheeling in terms of how it moves about its timeline. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would stand out in a movie now, uh, especially the confidence I feel like this movie has with with its form. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's very that was extremely technically innovative of the time was the cinematography. Specifically, and again, I'm slightly out of my depth here in explaining this the technicality of it, but are the deep focus lenses and the deep focus the lenses where if you'll notice there is a lot of there's lots of shots most of the movie really where there are things that are close to the camera in the foreground that are in focus and then things in the background far away that are in focus Mm. that was still pretty new camera lens technology for the time to be able to pull that off and utilize it well and and it's not just the lens, the technology of the lens itself. It's also like how the hell do you light it? Yeah, and... I loved the lighting in this yes. movie. Yeah, yeah. That was something that struck me immediately where mm-hmm. I thought, oh, a lot of quote unquote arty experimental types now try to do this thing where the mm-hmm. person's face is not lit, but their chest is, or they slowly step into the light or everything is dark except one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the journalists, the journalists were, were dark the entire time. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. time there was the journalists, they were always in shadows. You could never get a good look at their faces. Mm-hmm. And that I think interesting. It, and that's, a, that's also a much discussed choice in the legacy of this movie is the, I think the guy's name is Mr. Thompson. He may be referred to like once or twice. And that's a that's a rem, oft remarked on choice is the fact that you basically never get a good look at his face. Yeah. I did struggle with all the character names in this movie because it was mm-hmm. a lot of different Mr. Generic male name mm-hmm. or like generic last name, Johnson, Thompson, Larson, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> Jebediah Leland. <laughs> yeah, Leland. Yeah, there's just a lot Mr. of... Mr. Bernstein. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, but I did sort of... I knew that everyone's face, all the actors looked very distinct and I knew who everybody was, but ask me right now to name the characters' names, can't do it. Mm-hmm. That's not criticism. That's just an observation. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I suppose another thing that's worth talking about with the reaction to the movie is, and and again, you can do a whole podcast on just the release of this movie and the trials and tribulations that occurred, is that this movie is a not particularly well-veiled ve- well movie about William Randolph Hearst. I specifically did no research about that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have that color my view of the movie. I didn't want to be thinking about that while I watched it. I don't know any of that context. I know 0% about who that is. I am a a zero on, on that. So... And again, we don't. I feel like this is something that's talked about a ton with this movie, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but it's worth mentioning the fact that 
there was a guy named not Charles Foster Kane, but William Randolph Hearst, and he was very much this guy, a huge newspaper tycoon, and was very much alive at the time of this movie's release. I believe Karina Longworth from the... Um, you must remember You this. must remember this. Mm-hmm. Did a whole episode about it. So yeah. if you want that info, yeah. I'm sure she did it perfectly, and we could not recreate it. Right. So he was not real pleased about with, with this existence of this movie, and he actually, with his powerful perch atop controlling lots of American newspapers and owning movie theaters chains did a lot to suppress this movie's release really yeah that's creepy very (laughs) it's there was a little bit of life imitating art and vice versa of course right so that was so therefore this movie it's hard to say this movie would have been a hit and and something that audiences would have embraced at the time anyway but that did not help this movie become a hit Huh. And it wasn't a hit. It was so not. it was obscure. So when did this mythology that it's the greatest movie of all time and that any film hipster ever has to have seen it and have an opinion about it as sort of a way through the gate for the gatekeepers of film bros? Like yeah. what? When did that mythology start? Yeah. Why Citizen? Kane? Why Citizen Kane? Why not Citizen that I'm saying, Kane, Colin. <laughs> I do. <Great> I do <laughs> like it. I don't think it's a bad movie. But why this movie? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's very much the elephant in the room with this movie is how widely regarded or at least for a long time that it was called the greatest film ever made mm-hmm. and which is kind of an unfortunate thing to tag that's um, not fair to put on any movie yeah and and <laughs> and, and i think that's another reason why people like to go like what is and it's hard to escape from it though you can blame the french Oh. The, the, the original film bros oh. right <laughs> you can blame the french who so this movie kind of went into relative obscurity for about 15 years. Only 15. Yeah. It's not like it was discovered in the 80s. No. It okay. was it was a uh, it was in relative obscurity, not talked about much for about 15 years and then once the sort of Parisian cinema thing got going and especially Parisian film study, film criticism really got going, they picked this movie out. Mm. Partly because they were trying to they were trying to be innovative with their cinematic techniques and they were like well this is a movie that sure does that yeah and yeah. and of course also this is the era where the french kind of almost invented this concept of of uh, film criticism for one thing you know the the word auteur and auteur theory you're familiar yeah, with that right, sure yeah. came from french magazines in the 50s uh-huh. they they are the ones who came up with auteur theory which is not really a thing like, that was not how movies were discussed about the director as being the author of the movie. That was right. Like, mm, that's right. not necessarily true. But, like, the French were the first to go, like, no, the director yeah. is the auteur. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. And so they really, and, and they're the people who, like, really started to celebrate the director as the auteur. And, one, and again, they picked this movie out. Interesting. What, what do you think about the idea that there is a single artist primarily for a movie because a movie just seems fundamentally to be a highly collaborative process and there's no getting around that Mm -hmm. and so what i mean what do you make of that concept just to zoom out a little bit was it a good thing or a bad thing is it a real thing are any movies could you possibly say aside from charlie chaplin like i think well there's a lot of ways you can answer this i think yes it's a thing i think to a certain extent because it became so glorified, it maybe became too much of a thing where they gave they allowed some directors too much power here and there. Right. That's George hard, Lucas. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, as someone who directs film short films anyway myself, this is like, how can you say this that the director should have less power here and there? Right. <laughs> uh, Orson Welles is very much the auteur of this movie, although of course, as the movie Mank will point out. The screenplay is very much Herman Mankiewicz. 
Okay. And the screenplay is fantastic. There are so fantastic. many great one-liners. Great, like, well, that was the line that summed up the m- whole movie. No, wait, that was the line that summed up the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, wow, yeah. there's just dozens of them. <laughs> just knock out yeah. single sentences. And, of course, Orson Welles, though, is the producer of this movie. So, of course, he had a ton of power about over the screen. Um, he's, of course, co-credited with the... Uh, screenplay and mm-hmm. he of course also shared the only oscar this movie got was for the screenplay hmm. and huh. they both got it and they both got it huh and cool. um so yeah i think i think it was nominated for a lot i think it got its fair share of nominations at the time was it for best picture though? yeah i think it was nominated okay, okay. i'm pretty sure it was so nominated. it wasn't one of those famous completely ignored at its time snubbed by everyone sort of situations I'm it not, was yeah seen as art when it was new it just didn't get a lot of actual accolades right and the only actual oscar one was for best screenplay that's huh. fair yeah so uh, that's very much the but yeah, the 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 myth of this movie becoming the greatest film ever made was very much 50s. And then once the French rediscovered it, then America rediscovered it. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, this movie is cool. And, 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 it, and of course, poor Orson Welles by this point is like, would have been cool if y'all thought this 20 years ago. Yeah, poor <laughs> and, Orson uh, Welles. Poor Orson Welles. And, um, Which this movie is proof that he was hot when he was young. Just, I apparently yeah he got old and fat real quick he got but, some smolder on him but he was he was a pretty young man and people forget that anyway continue yeah. the other thing that's astonished like possibly the most astonishing fact about this movie is you know how old orson wells is when making this movie right he's a child right well, how old is he 25 25 yeah. oh 25 when he wrote produced directed and starred in this movie wow yeah 25 goodness they did a really good job with aging all the actors. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah. I was fascinated by the nineteen forties old man makeup that they yeah. did. The only person who they didn't age very well was the singer character Susan. She basically looked the same the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's okay because I think at least you can say like, well, women try to hide their yeah, age the more. Yeah, the standard anyway. of beauty is that women would try to look young. But uh-huh. yeah, like yeah. they aged um, Orson Welles so much, yeah. so fast. Like I struggled a little bit with the timeline. Mostly he looked like a middle-aged man and then he looked like an ancient man between two scenes to yeah. me. And again, I just, I just, I, I go back to this. I just... You know, I'm, this is still washing over me a little bit, having just watched the movie earlier today. I still am a little blown away by the confidence that this movie has with just with the way it zooms through its timeline. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And the the switching back and forth and coming back to the same thing later, it's just very well executed. And it's interesting because that would be how a journalist would find out. A story you know mm-hmm. they talk yeah. to one person and it's they're talking about one period of his life and they're talking to a different source and it would be cut up and confusing like this that's, oh my gosh that's it's serial that's yeah it's <laughs> and stuff overlaps yeah that's the other thing is the fact that he he they orson welles and and mankiewicz um i'm probably saying I'll, I'll just call him mank mank, mank. <laughs> henry mank and uh mank and orson welles now I forgot the uh, the fact that they let things overlap. I think is is for one thing, it's a risky choice, and in some ways, some stuff is a little repetitive in this movie. Yeah, feels a little repetitive. But again, you you get different different person in the room, different side of the story. Yeah, yeah. people's lives are repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's it's very real, and um, I feel like the lesson was the the what I got from the ending was just like. Turns out he was just sad because his childhood was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Which end. his childhood was so I wanna, weird. I, I need that explained to me. I need I need it broken down what the deal was with the bank buying a child to then be rich. I don't understand what that yeah, was. Yeah, was, he was sent to be raised by the bank. Was that a thing that was I don't done? Understand. Or was that for this movie? Or is that a direct biography from Hearst? Like, what? So, so y'all, I guess... I'm, I'm I'm wondering how I, first I'm getting straight on what y'all are asking. So y'all of course got the bit where his family or his, I think his, his parents bought some land that turned out to be a silver mine. 
Well, okay. it was a gold mine, and his uh, she owned a boarding house, which is basically a hotel in the Old West, mm-hmm. and a a tenant who was defaulting paid her in the deed to a gold mine, and oh. it turned out to have gold, so they were unexpectedly very rich. Right. That's and huh. so and then she sent the boy off to be raised by the bank. So no, I think what the, I think they're kind of they were speaking a little bit euphemistically there. Okay. Uh-huh. In that what what they mean by that is so and it's clearly it's clear that the mother is in charge of this operation. Which I loved. Right. Is that she got a hold of this huge amount of money and doesn't go like, "Wow, let's let's party." Or let's buy ourselves yeah, let's a cool be house. New money and have yeah. all the mansions, which um, you know. Yeah. Uh, so she immediately builds a trust for her son. Yeah. She that money is in a and so to to get a trust going, she has to work with the bank. Mm-hmm. So she gets a she gets some sort of airtight trust going with the bank, and so really what it is is that she wants. Basically, she decides that her son is not going to be some Western kid, some frontier kid. Some yokel. He's going right. to be raised in with the best education possible with his trust. Right. In polite society. In polite society. Right. Away she, from her abusive husband. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The, the, the husband thing's weird. Um, yeah. Because it's a very poignantly done, strange scene. With, yeah, with the... she looks so dead inside. She's yeah. so There's sad. There's that kid in the middle of it playing through the window, which was brilliant. And Great heartbreaking. Shot, yeah. Where they're having this serious talk about this kid's life, and he's out there just partying in the snow. Yeah. Having a regular little life. Yeah. Yeah. And then the father's like, I like, I still didn't, I'm not agreeing with this. I'm not clear on what's happening. He's my kid, you know. And you he's know. like, shut up. We're you, not, you're not in the conversation. Like, your voice does not matter. That was a fascinating choice that he's just some idiot who's like, you don't have any say. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that's, I mean, it's a strange, and, and there's really only a slight hint. I mean, that, well, there's maybe not a slight hint, but there's really mostly just a hint that he's abusive. Right. Yeah. He might just be kind of just a, it might just be more like he's a rough and tumble frontier guy. Yeah. And, and, and maybe what the mother meant by like, He'll be far away from you, or whatever she said was like, he won't be anything like you because you're an idiot. Yeah. I don't want him to be like you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that maybe that's all she meant. Maybe she didn't mean you're a drunk, you hit him, whatever. Yeah. It could it could mean that. But it also could mean, yeah, you're my our son's gonna be gonna be good, somebody. good people. He's gonna be rich people. And honestly, I thought like the, the the father in the scene where he's he's trying to help. He's the main one making real effort to 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 break it to the kid yeah to, to break it to to little charlie yeah but yeah. i feel like he kind of whiffs it though because he whiffs he just, it but he tries yeah he just butts in is like you're gonna go live with him now and they're trying to dance around it they're trying to say it carefully yeah. they're trying to explain it slowly and he just butts in and is like yeah. you live with him now and that's when he <laughs> the kid freaks out i did notice that that they were just sort of like let's sit down and have a talk you like your sled or whatever you like your stuff you let you oh that's a nice snowman and he's like uh you're going to live with this guy now it's yeah. <laughs> very funny well like the dad he's you know he, he breaks it off like you're gonna go on the train yeah. you know yeah. and and so like and again the dad is not really does not leave the scene like i'm still not really on board with it but then he's really trying to be sweet to his son still in the end and yeah i don't know it's it's a heartbreaking scene and uh yeah, it really was i think one thing watching this movie this time around, I feel like the the sadness in this movie hit me harder than some previous viewings of it. Yeah, I think the that scene, sure, and and just here and there, and even even the sort of the what's her name, the second wife, Susan, Susan in her drunken stupors of melancholy. Even those scenes kind of hit a little harder this time around yeah and it is genuinely sweet how they meet each other and he's all covered in mud and that was you know brought me genuine feels i liked Mm -hmm. their little relationship and it was all the more heartbreaking to see how he became with her and uh he britney spears her basically you know it was horrifying yeah yeah i think one thing 
Well, I was thinking about this in the car on my way over here and as the movie ended, that I feel like the movie drags a little bit in the third act. It slow, it, relie- it loses some steam. And I've always thought that was a little bit of because of how mind-numbing some of the singing part of the movie is. Mm. Uh, it's and, and and that's such a and, and they're kind of the, the the depressing relationship is what dominates the last act of that movie. Yeah, and it's that, kind of about how bored and how unsatisfied they both are. Right. Why? So you're bored and unsatisfied with the movie at that part. No, yeah. I, I thought I was the most involved in that section. Yeah, honestly. Okay. That was the part that I was most emotionally connected to because, I mean, that's when he was you know, actually struggling with something, which mm-hmm. before he was just like, I'm successful and I'm a little bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. And that was the the part with his wife, his second wife was really like, this this guy has problems and he's, you know, you, taking it out on this, on his wife. I don't, I don't understand what he wanted her to be exactly. Like what point was he trying to make by making her successful just to prove that he could? Is that what was going on there? I mean, it's like he never really recovered from his, he was on this meteoric rise and he was going to become president. Right. And then as soon as he hit that wall, he just didn't really recover in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was kind of like, come on, man, just run again. Why why is this such a big tragedy? (laughs) Like, and yeah. really, one affair? All politicians have affairs. Was that just like, well, was that really a career? No, politician in the 40s? affairs w- were invented in 1980, so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, considering the fact that a an affair scandal derailed a campaign in the 1980s, then yeah, sure, right, right. something like that would have crushed a right. campaign. What was his name? Gary Hart? Yeah, something? Hart. I actually saw the movie that has Hugh Jackman. Right. That's about that. And mm-hmm. so, even as recently as the 1980s, that can. Yeah, but not right. anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Nobody but... cares. Yeah, nobody cares at all. So sure, of course that would matter in the in both the forties and nineteen teens when I think that part of the movie is set. Yeah, right. Okay. So I mean that maybe would destroy a political career in nineteen forty whenever. Yeah. Yeah, but... it seemed to me that he wanted to help her because he misunderstood when he first met her like what is it you want to be doing and she was like oh it's you know a sing i guess she emphasis on i guess which he doesn't pick up on the i guess yeah and then she says my mama wanted me to be an opera singer can you imagine that i don't have that type of voice and then he misunderstands and thinks oh this girl should have been an opera singer and he's just it's just he misunderstands what she wants and what her dreams are and he's trying to give her if he can't have his dream and be the superstar then she will be and he's trying to say make it seem like it's worth it that he lost his political career for this woman because right. she's going to be the meteor uh, okay. now that, and beautifully put yes okay that's making a lot more sense to me new thought yeah. i actually had just now is there's a little bit of a he i mean they they come out with this theme a fair amount in this movie about how he's not really ever comfortable with the fact that he's rich and powerful and was given it yeah he he kind of almost would have preferred to be a guy who works himself up from the bottom right so and, he's trying to work her up from the bottom yeah yeah, yeah. and <laughs> which is just vicariously or something yeah yeah, yeah. And, and what you said definitely like he lost his career over her so he's like well i've i've got to make this work somehow you know if i'm mm-hmm. gonna lose my dreams over this woman then i have to torture her of course i have to make her <laughs> dreams come I true to... and it's just so misguided because those aren't her, her dreams he's a terrible listener yeah it's repeated over and over he doesn't really know the people that are around him and the people around him don't really know him and everybody's just walking and talking past each other yes. yeah and yeah She's so the sad. ultimate example of it's that. It's such a lonely movie. It's like the it's a movie about loneliness, and yeah. it's uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting because here's this big movie, Citizen Kane. Everybody talks about it, and I just wasn't expecting art film about a very lonely rich man. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, huh? I I just don't know what I was expecting. I think I was thinking it was going to be more swashbuckling or something, huh. but it was just a a big fat beautiful bummer yeah yeah Yeah. oh and something else about his obsession within relationship with her is i think he was trying to use her to vicariously restore his childhood Mm -hmm. because he saw her as this sweet innocent thing right and he craved that so bad 
And so, like, her bedroom that he smashed epically. Great scene. Amazing scene. Amazing. Let's unpack that in a minute, but they finish your to, point. Yeah, they, it looked like a child's room. Like, it had animals painted on the walls. She had, you know, doodads everywhere, books on the shelf. Like, it looked like a little girl's room. Like, he just was trying to create this fantasy land. Kind of right. like Michael Jackson had, like, right. weird kid uh. fantasies because his childhood was stolen from him. Yeah. That's sort of what I got was like, I'm going to preserve this girl's innocence because I lost mine. And it was totally a prison for her. That's not what she wanted at all. Yeah. Yeah. She just wanted to go hang out with her friends. Yeah. To play with her crossword, which you seem to be like, or not not crossword, her jigsaw puzzles. Like you seem to be like, that's for kids. I want you to be a kid in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mostly she, she literally starts off in the movie giggling. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of her deal. She just wants to be. She just wants to. She's just laugh sweet and genuine and fun, and she sees the good in people, and we like her. We like her. Yeah. Yeah. Feels so bad for her. Again, I was involved with her, which is why that section of the movie was probably where I was most involved. Well, here's where I was kind of going with that thought: is that I think I was watching it this time. I was kind of ready for that. I'm like, this is the part of the movie that slows down a little bit. But then I thought, you know, here's the other reason why that part of the movie slows down a little bit. is because they get a little ham-fisted, I think, with the theme of him being a guy who wants people to love him. He doesn't actually care about the people. He doesn't actually care about his wife. He just wants it to be about him, right? They get a little ham-fisted. I mean, for one thing, multiple characters basically say yeah, that they, line. they yell that right out yeah. in his yeah. face. <laughs> multiple times, kind of in a row-ish. It yeah. was a little bit like, audience, listen up. <laughs> but I think that that was part of what was so sad, was he's sitting there just helplessly unable to communicate. No, it's not that. It's not that I want you to love me. It's not about what I want. It's about me desperately grasping to figure out how to reclaim myself from Mm -hmm. this money that I have and it's not really like I want to be loved it's just I want to feel like a person yeah (laughs) it's weird because this movie in a lot of ways is it's very much a movie that is punching up it is a movie that is out to there's a reason why William Randolph Hearst was miffed by this movie yeah this movie is punching at him but at the same time it's such a movie that has empathy for these rich powerful people especially of the american variety yeah these type it it's a movie that we talk about all the loneliness and i was i was thinking about also just like yeah like in some ways what the rosebud really means is it's just an example of how like no one really they go on a lot of they they go on a lot about how he's not a good listener and how he's all about what he wants but like not not many people ask him how he's doing. Yeah, no one ever really listens to him either or know yeah. what he wants. Or they assume things about him. They misinterpret what he's doing and what he wants mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And the people who do listen to him say stuff like, he would say a lot of stupid stuff. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so like, sad. So yeah, sad. Yeah, and if the guy, the bank guy who basically raised him had been paying attention, he would have seen that the sled said Rosebud on it, and he'd have been able to say, oh, yeah, that was what said on the sled. It's weird that it, that was his last words. His, yeah. You know, his wife could have noticed that. Anyone could have asked him at any point, but... And I think it's also a little bit about fame, and not just p- fame and power, and how, like... Basically, everyone who is looking at your life and or and has a relationship with you has a little bit of an agenda. You are a target, and I think that's and, and even even they they even have an agenda like to figure out what the hell the rosebud thing means. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, let's see what really made Charles yeah. Foster Kane is... tick. And yeah. It's like yeah. this is a guy who, and so that's almost like why he's not very communicative because he's like he's always sort of on stage. There yeah. was never any off stage for him. And yeah. so it's kind of a yeah. portrait of what that does to people. And, and so, yeah. yeah. His last words were the only thing that people didn't have a witness for, a source to yeah. confirm. Yeah, and it was also know? just self-soothing. It was yeah. the only thing. That's what he said to calm down was what yeah. I got out of it. He was, yeah. when he felt really he, scared. He trashed really the room. Yeah, he trashed <laughs> the room. Goodness, what, a, what an amazing scene. And I, my favorite part about it 
is it turns out his whole staff and maybe some vacationers were just standing out there looking at him trash this room. Yeah. Just like, oh, hey, boss. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? What's all that noise? It's like, he's totally wrecking. He's yeah. Gone. It's like, oh, shit. Wait, did she leave? <laughs> oh. oh yeah i want a whole second movie that is just all the serving class people in the background the xanadu the staff. xanadu staff yeah. her maid what is, does she just put puzzles together like all day <laughs> is, that's not literally all she does it's all i see her do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh goodness oh my gosh yeah. i want that movie it'd be so yeah. funny that should be like an hbo series just like yeah. xanadu yeah like downton abbey. abbey only yeah only it's <laughs> xanadu, xanadu abbey staff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness and okay uh, i want to ask about more about william randolph hearst because sure. i don't know anything about that but something else i want to point out is the beginning of the movie is such a just you, you get whiplash you get this really arty start and then you have a movie within a movie where well, it's just like reel, yeah the, the news, news reel, reel where yeah. it's like check out the balls on xanadu it's just <laughs> crazy uh -huh. and um and i and then we come into this smoky room and i'm just like where are we what is happening yeah and you don't it even was see orson dizzy. wells until like well you see him a little bit in the newsreel mm -hmm. but you kind of he doesn't have like a line of dialogue where he's just like here i am in the film not a film within a film but here just i am in in this movie and here's the thing i'm saying it took like 20 minutes or something yeah, i guess on the, on that point and that was something I had to watch this movie in installments because I have a three-year-old and she was not a fan of this movie if she ever caught me watching it and I would have to stop and pay Citizen attention Citizen Kane, her. don't recommend a three-year-old. No. no, yeah, turn it off, mama. So <laughs> I only watched that first 20 minutes and then had to stop it for the night and then pick it back up the next day. And I remember just getting done with that reporter scene with the beautiful dark with their faces in the dark and thinking wow lighten up everybody's smoking you can count how many people in there by how many puffs of smoke are wafting up but you can't actually see them yeah beautiful beautiful but just... I, I remember turning it off after that first 20 minutes and being like oh i feel like i just watched a whole hour long movie yeah wow yeah yeah, yeah on that point is Again, like whatever you want to say about whether how great this movie really is, one of the things that's really fascinating about this movie is that it is an example of imagine Stanley Kubrick or David Lynch had just been plopped down in 1940s classic Hollywood and decided to, and were like given the keys to make a movie, they would have made a movie as weird looking and weird as this right because yeah. that's one thing about this movie also is that it did the 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 weirdness of this movie really stood out i mean it is like kind of exceptional in that classic hollywood studio system did not make movies like this that were at least not to say there weren't any arty movies but they didn't have hollywood behind them they were is, like literal avant-garde movies is that because orson welles came from radio that this movie is so we don't have to go all into sure. orson welles but. i mean some of it is that he was he was a little bit given a blank check because of the war of the worlds uh thing. and the success right. yeah and and uh, like and like okay this guy is coming to hollywood and he's like and, and i think it was kind of ballsy on his part he's like i run the show and so if you're gonna give me a movie to do it's my show. It's you're gonna, gonna leave me. Wild. You're gonna give right checks and leave me alone. And they said, "Okay, we're giving you that shot. You're the hot commodity." And he said, but so, Dude. did this movie ruin him? Or kind was... of, yes. Wow, I wow. thought so. Yeah. Wow, that's because this movie mm -hmm. looks expensive. I wanted to ask yes. how much of Xanadu is real. Like, did mm -hmm. they build that mess for this movie? Like, was it a real house somewhere? Like, I mean, what? Because there are aerial <sighs> shots of it. I mean, Hollywood. <laughs> knew how to build some sets yeah i guess so <laughs> yeah. for one thing they knew how to build some sets yeah because it they really it's really effective how enormous and sweeping and cavernous and ornate it is mm -hmm. and it's just shot after shot after shot of incredible and they're all different ornate and beautiful, again using massive that, yeah, yeah using that deep focus staging that was yeah. the other thing that's that of course we got to say greg tolan's name is the cinematographer and of course the fact that he, that his name is listed last after Orson Welles shows how much of a hat hat doff that is to that Orson Welles really was shouting out Greg Tolan's work. Also, oh, being listed last is better. Well, usually, but I mean, like they're on the same title card, isn't he? Did he put the DP on the same title card as him as director? Oh, okay. He's yeah. like he's like I, he was giving a hard shout out to his director of photography for the shot. But 
I think Orson Welles does get credit for his bold staging of, of the scenes where, where, for example, of course, the her in the foreground putting a puzzle together and him way, on way his in, literal in throne on his throne and, and they're, they're shouting huh? a kind of conversation yeah, we're going to the beach tomorrow we're going on a picnic i don't wanna uh, yeah yeah so i mean that's yeah and um anyway he, and when she leaves you know the door opens and she's walking through those other doors into the darkness yeah that was that's another one of those lots of depth of field, mm-hmm. yeah. beautiful shots. Oh, and something else I thought, there's lots of big zoomed out shots of like at the very end with all the junk. Mm-hmm. And I thought that Gone with the Wind and all the bodies was kind of the first time that happened. But um, this was very reminiscent of that to me. I mean, I don't know if this movie invented that. But definitely like if you're using a crane to to do yeah, something the big epic, crane you know, epic shot. You, yeah, it best be you best make it iconic, and I this feel is like, one of them. Yeah, all yeah. the film history that I have been exposed to is like Gone with the Wind is the ultimate and the example and the why crane shots became mm-hmm. a thing. And I'm like, here's this movie that's older. It's got crane shots though, you guys. Like, yeah, I guess maybe that they were always a thing. As well, as I mean, I think thing. I don't know if even the Gone with the Wind famous shot is necessarily like innovative so much as it was just really powerful it was maybe the number of extras too was yeah. the big deal about that one yeah it's just yeah. it's just the, a great example of like if you're gonna if you're gonna just kill an audience with a shot this is how you do it yeah that's yeah. really what yeah. yeah yeah i'd really like to know more about sure what is his name william randolph hearst yeah uh, and so he's who was he according to people in the 40s well, he his biography is very similar to that of Charles Foster Kane. He was a, I don't know about his childhood, but he was a guy who was a newspaper tycoon and got really going in New York in the 1890s as a muckraking journalist slash yellow journalist. That was the that's the term. what that terminology meant. I they called him a yellow journalist, yes. and that made what does I was that like, mean? Cowardly? What so does that some mean? of it is it sensationalized? Is that what yes. you mean? Okay. So that so a lot of what that they portray in that movie is kind of historical, where they start printing salacious, gossipy stuff as front page quote unquote serious news, mm-hmm. and then also the 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 fact that the Spanish American War was infamously trumpeted by newspapers really including and perhaps most famously ones owned by william randolph hearst so he it's almost like he decided to have a war he was so he, he was just, into yeah. it yeah that's so strange and yeah. so sickening that's so interesting yes. that the press had that much power then. and maybe I, they still do because <laughs> i didn't really know about hearst either mm-hmm. i made a point to not research it so i was a little bit like oh it's so quaint that newspapers are the thing that makes him famous that so is not a but thing no now. it happened is yeah. in reality yeah. and i mean was hearst a known weirdo like no in this in some of the weirdoness i don't think well okay he was a little bit of a weirdo in that he the 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 zoo animals in the um that, xanadu and xanadu that was based on the fact that that william randolph hearst had a private zoo He's, in his okay. estate and uh <laughs> and that's portrayed in the movie mank also which right. is a movie that i would recommend y'all watch now okay um okay i i i feel like watching it i was almost worried that, that movie would dominate my viewing of this movie too much but i think we waited enough time to where it didn't too much but um good movie and um I think in some maybe some of the rich weirdoness maybe uh, was lifted also from Howard Hughes, who's oh, the okay. other famous powerful dude who was an eccentric. Yes. Wait, was he not Howard? Yeah, Howard Hughes. Yeah. Was he contemporary to this yes, movie? Yes. Yeah. Huh. I always thought Howard Hughes was much. Uh, well, he is young. Modern. Okay. He is younger, but he was he was much younger because William Randolph Hearst is more or less the age portrayed in this movie. He was like I don't know sixty seventy. Right, this movie okay. came, came out, but and then of course, I guess Howard Hughes was maybe forty by nineteen forty. And he okay. was already trying to start to make movies himself, right? Well, no, so he, he was he, in Hollywood. No, he he made movies like he started making movies in the silent era. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, he was, so Howard Hughes was a known guy in Hollywood for being weird, for being rich, for having passion projects, mm-hmm, for being a little bit of a weirdo. So it, yeah. maybe there's some because in some ways this movie has some plausible deniability of being like, well, we're also just about rich 
American tycoons. That's also what this movie is just about. Not specifically, yeah. but very much. What else about William Randolph Hearst? I think he's a guy who had a political career that um, I don't know if there was like a sex scandal, but I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure there wasn't. But he is a guy who I think tried to run for governor, and he was like, "Is he going to be president?" And and I think he failed to win the governorship. Right. And or at least a higher office, and then his, and that was the end of his political career. Um, oh, you know who plays William Randolph Hearst in the movie Mank? Who? Charles Dance. Neat. A.K.A. Uh, Tywin Lannister. Oh, cool. Neat. Good, great casting. So, so what yeah. about the wife, the, the wife angle of, uh-huh. with Hearst? Is there some kind of known yes. thing going on and there? And she's portrayed by Amanda... Seafried in, uh, right, okay. in the so real what, wife who's blonde and pretty and, and uh, much younger than him. And So what's the story there? It's it's like kind of like how it is in this movie, but less so. I don't know about the sing. I think maybe she, they tried to put up a singing career. I don't remember whether it was Broadway. I think they generally had a better relationship. I don't think she ever left him, or theoretically a better relationship. Sure. But uh, or at least the way it's portrayed in the movie Make, it's a better relationship. Sure. Um... <laughs> And, um, but yes, that is definitely like they were, that was one of the areas that they were punching a little bit at William Randolph Hearst, which is like, you have a much younger wife who you tried to prop up a career a with. Quote unquote singer. Yeah, quote, a quote unquote, unquote singer. singer. He just wanted to take the quotes off singer. Uh-huh. <laughs> See, there you go. That explains all of it. He was trying to take the quotes off He's singer. He's just trying, he wanted to take the quotes off. Yeah, and and Mank was just trying to put him back on. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't take quotes out, man. Yeah. yeah. So um, and then as for William Randolph Hearst, I mean, here's the other thing about Hearst is that like, his legacy lives on, in that he still there's, Hearst is still a a media, um, business. I don't know if it's technically. A you still see his name around like you see Pulitzer. Well, like WVTM Channel Thirteen, NBC Thirteen here is owned is a Hearst company. Okay. And one yeah. in TV news insidery thing is that Hearst is one of the better companies to work for. Huh. It's still very much. It's still kind of a family business, and it's kind of run that way, and it's a little bit less corporate than working for other corporations out there that are own news, <laughs> so new, own news stations was Hearst all about the common man that um I think that's he was thing. all about in this movie over and over and also kind of beat me over the head with which yeah. I found very contradictory it's like you're all about the common man and telling the truth and journalism tells the truth and yet you are basically printing salacious lies Mm-hmm. about people is that really the truth if you're a gossip mag it's disguised as a newspaper is that really helping the common man like i actually think that is one of the the smartest things this movie does and this is one of the things that has sort of sadly aged really well mm. about this movie in that i really think that kind of like posturing about being for the common man while being very powerful and promoting power i mean that's that's an old American thing, and it's a new American thing. Yeah. I think I think that movie I think that movie really is hitting that on the head. Middle class Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that is that is just. I think this movie is saying something about America that is still to this day kind of nail on the head. Still true. Wow. Yeah. So you want to tell us about your notes over there, I, Helen? Yeah. I mean, I took a ton of notes. Yeah. I was just scribbling away while I was watching this movie. This movie gives you some thoughts. You it, I was feeling my feelings and thinking real hard. But yeah, that thing with the, the free press versus the free market, that was kind uh-huh. of going on when he was getting in trouble with his bank dad about exposing their yeah. sneaky business dealings over and over again. Right. And I think that's another thing where like, they didn't make the movie about that, but that's another thing that, like, I think that history was more familiar at the time to 1941 audiences than it is now about, you know, the, the sort of the big trust companies and how Teddy Roosevelt was working to break them up and blah, blah, blah. That was more recent history, and, and we were maybe supposed to pick up on that a little easier. This movie more portrays it as, and that was going on, of course, you guys know. Yeah, right. but I thought it was interesting that they kind of made this main character the microcosm for that he's both 
the market and the press in mm -hmm. one person and he's fighting against both of those inside himself he wants to tell the truth and he kind of wants to take down rich people and he wants to profess that he's for the common man but at the same time he's super super rich and he kind of hates that about himself but he's also super wants all the power and wants all the statues and the fancy art and the ridiculous house and that struggle between those two just plagued him until he died. I mean, I think, again, this movie is hitting, like, there's a real schizophrenic relationship that, yeah. like, a lot of powerful American media companies and just a lot of political figures, there's a bit of a schizophrenic relationship that maybe they would struggle to explain coherently and that this movie is basically shining a light on that fact, I and feel like. And it's still just as true. Yeah. Hmm. And I was like, is he so all about the common man just because he hates his bank dad? He's just trying to stick it. It's just about his daddy issues. And he just wants to stick it to him specifically. And it just happens to help all of society. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah but I, I wrote, does he just hate his bank dad? Yeah. It's um, interesting that the, the bank dad had a, a room that you, a journalist would go to to look at his writings or something. I loved that, that scene. The library. The light. That with scene with is his memoir. Funny. That yes. Real funny. Oh it's my god! Such a it's a creepy table in this big room. Yeah, it's, take... it's like an Egyptian tomb. Is this library an Egyptian <laughs> yeah. tomb? Bank Dad is like buried in a pyramid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that movie will kind of like kind of lulls you into and in, in, dazzle you because that's some of the showiest cinematography in the movie that was like some real woo stuff and but i mean definitely watching it this time like this is low-key quite funny yeah no you know? i loved i that secretly is kind of my favorite scene where he goes the journalist goes to read the memoir in the fancy library and it's like this weird brutalist architecture egyptian tomb that's supposedly a library mm -hmm. and he, the terrifying androgynous librarian <laughs> gives that, him very very strict instructions yeah about how well, not to use direct quotations from his memoir and yeah they then <laughs> he sits at that long table in the room with the light shining down on the ceiling on the table Again, like there should be a sarcophagus in here somewhere. There's a guy whose job <laughs> it is to stand next to the safe, I guess, who's just over there. <laughs> yeah, and he reads the memoir, and oh man, it was so yeah. beautiful, but also just so overwrought and yeah. so echoey and spooky. I was and, like, did they just borrow the mummy set? When was the mummy made? Yeah, anyway. I don't, I don't know that I have a take about this, but that transition with the bird... Towards the end of the film, ah, yeah, it goes, it goes ah, and it's really loud. It and It startled really me sick. so bad the first time. I think I fully jumped the I first time. So I was so surprised, and I was like, "What?" You know, like that's such a strange choice. The bird is right there. It's like he used to say weird stuff. He used to be pretty weird. Like the day his wife left, and it was like, ah, yeah, <laughs> just out of nowhere. Suddenly, a cockatiel with its glowing eye. Yeah, what? In <laughs> There's the world? some weird horror movie esque yeah. stuff about this movie. Yeah, just I mean, atmospheric stuff. I mean, some of it is that he was having a good time with his with his with his money. And they make Xanadu very haunted houses. She very yes. Yeah. Huh. It's haunted by his regrets. <laughs> it's haunted by him. It's he's just a spook. The dude is a spook. Crumbling around, scowling with his double chin, haunting his own house. He's a guru. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a yeah. And and it's also kind of evergreen. You know, some giant mansion in Florida. Uh -huh. So one thing that I knew about this movie, I think the only thing I knew, is the shot where he claps. The because applause. of the Shia LaBeouf video. Well, I just, it's just something that you know. It's like a film meme. It's just around. People talk about it. Where he stands up slowly and claps very and seriously. He's got angrily. the shadow across his face and he's just clapping the shit out of his hands. And actually seeing it, the context for it was so different than I was expecting. I didn't know what the context of that shot was going to be, but I was like, oh man, I was just newly creeped out by this dude. Mm -hmm. who's just like building his wife See, into something no I, and... I weirdly didn't find that creepy i felt it incredibly sad yeah because yeah. i thought that like 
yeah, the film meanness of that. I thought it was sort of a narcissism thing, like you're clapping for yourself, and that's what well, that's, that's a symbol of. That's how it is in the Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah, I, that's, that's what I kind of got, though, was like that was the point of that scene, because I feel like it's used in other ways where it's like, yes, I'm clapping because I'm going to be the one encouraging this thing that I created, and that's what he's doing. But to me, it was also just so sad. He's like, he is trying his hardest to make this thing that real that just isn't real and he knows it in that moment but he's saving face this movie's kind of about saving face mm -hmm. uh. um, where he has to be the one giving the standing ovation so that nobody can see that he's humiliated yeah he's got to mean it you know yeah he's he got to mean it now. yeah yeah goodness yeah so i found it really sad that he's just yeah. digging in his heels and he's just willing this to be and he knows in that moment that it'll never be but he's just made the decision yeah to force it goodness yeah, yeah. and there she is being very clearly i want out and there he is being like no yeah. fuck you yeah. it's just so goodness oh man yeah yeah no yeah. oh. uh another thing that i thought was really interesting and great about this movie was I felt like I was right there with the reporters trying to solve the mystery of this human being the whole movie yeah the mystery of a human life let's solve it and I'm like because I was writing things down is it because of this is it because of that does he hate his bank dad is he saving face <laughs> and I'm like wow I'm so you're trying to do this work of the movie yeah I'm trying <laughs> to do the work of the movie while I'm watching the movie I am right there with these reporters yeah. what does Rosebud mean is it the key to everything oh it's self-soothing it's because of his lost childhood. I like, would, I was so solving actually, this movie is a jigsaw puzzle, which they fully say in the end. Yeah. And I'm like right there in it trying to solve it with them. I and was I thought ready, that was artful and great. I was ready to accept the, the concept that, you know, you can't just boil somebody down to a word. And I was kind of ready for the, it to be like, eh, who knows what Rosebud was. And also, it doesn't matter. It doesn't in really actual matter. Fact. Well, it, is, it is what, we, it is what your, your film nerdy people call a MacGuffin. Yes. A red herring. Red herring MacGuffin. Yeah. yeah. Same dude. Except and also, what a typical hacky reporter thing. Let's latch on to this one thing that I think's a cool idea. <laughs> smoke, smoke, smoke. <laughs> it's not a good idea, but nobody told him no. And so now it's this whole I mean, wild goose chase. It was onto something. It could have been interesting. It helped him make it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, but also just what a typical like reporter looking for an angle where there is no angle. I mean, yeah. but it did help him find out more about this strange, enigmatic person, mm -hmm. which everyone's strange and enigmatic when you think about it. And nobody really knows anybody. Something... And when someone dies, you want to figure out who they were. And yeah. it's nearly impossible. And you just have the people that knew them. Yeah, it's great. Somebody <laughs> who's kind of doesn't have a, much of a part in the movie is uh his first wife which confuses me that the omission of the of his child dying is a strange choice they don't really go over that they go over so many steps of his life they don't go over the fact that he had a son yeah it's just like died. they wrote them out well so they had to die it's almost more part of the point of what this movie is saying with its story which is that it's 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 not necessarily a choice of the movie. It's a choice of the people, of the reporters who are telling, who are right. digging it. And it's a choice of the memory of the people that he talks to. These people who knew him well and knew him all over the years, but weren't really that close to him and his emotions. Yeah. You know, so it's like, so in some ways, and of course, I think also what it's saying is that, well, however he felt about it, he didn't. He, he didn't talk about it much. He preferred yeah. not to talk or think about it much. It was sort of a bump in his self-mythology and maybe it brought up some emotions he didn't want to deal with. So therefore, this movie, according to its own rules, can't deal with it. Hmm. I, think that's, I think that's part of what was going on there. Yeah. It is an interesting choice, though. I think it, you, you kind of should be asking that question, which is like, really? We're just going to drop that in in that opening... Um, movie the uh yeah the, the, the newsreel, newsreel movie and then not and you're kind of ready for it and it doesn't come back really you just yeah. know it's gonna happen or it happened so um we've been talking about an hour yeah i so. guess we should wrap it up uh i guess uh, what are some final things you want to fit in helen um I feel okay about i thought it was interesting that he was labeled during his political campaign as the fighting liberal mm -hmm. was huh. that 
was Hearst considered liberal? And I think I think he's another. I think he's a guy who is considered a bit of a chameleon in that he start he kind of started as very much a guy who is part of the progressive movement in the early 20th century and identified with the progressive movement in the early 20th century and then by the time you get to the 1930s he's more of a conservative guy who's not really buddies who's kind of against Roosevelt Hmm. and he's just a guy who with the winds of time and over the century where he was very powerful and influential kind of blew with the breeze and maybe that's partly why this movie's going after him a little bit is it's Mm -hmm. calling out how like you moved around some buddy you know what was your real ideology yeah did you even have one yeah yeah so yeah or was he just trying to keep himself from looking ridiculous and thereby made himself look ridiculous um precise yeah um and was one of the lessons of this movie that you should go ahead and give in to blackmail sometimes it's really better yeah. It's really better in the long run. What a, what a lesson that might be. Don't be stubborn. Sometimes sometimes it's just... Not worth it, dude. Not worth it. Really? He's that's, got you. That's what I, he's got you? He's Give got in. you. You know? Deal with it. <laughs> wow, that's a sad thing for me to walk around my life living and knowing. Except some blackmail. Citizen came taught me that sometimes you just got to take the blackmail and move on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really want to eat Lobster Newberg now. The food that um, when he was going to Chicago, his best friend, who wasn't really his best friend, who was the drama reporter, uh-huh. was like, I want to go to Chicago. And he's all drunk. He's like, well, you'll be shocked to discover there's no Lobster Newberg in Chicago or something like that. That is such a deep cut. Like, I'm not, I was, <laughs> even today watching this movie, I was not aware that was a line. I just, I, even no. though I was listening to it, and it was not a line I picked no, up, but, if any, but you go and you Google it. Like, what is that? Is there's a mention of food? I'm on it. <laughs> Helen's food spice sense. Yes. <laughs> Tripping off. So yeah, I gotta make it now. It's, I kind of want it. It's it egg good. yolks, heavy whipping cream, and butter. You guys, I'm butter. so hungry. Stop right now. <laughs> Do not talk to me about shellfish and butter. <laughs> I will die as I sit here. It looks so good. I'm going to cook it for myself for sure. Let's go. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, yeah, that's about all I had to say. Well, yeah, so I guess this the a, a final thought is uh is this film the is it or is it not the greatest film ever made? Stop asking that question. Who cares? What it is is it's a big beautiful bummer. Yeah, big, like John said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh Maybe you should give in to blackmail and maybe his bank dad did suck. Oh, his bank, bank dad, dad definitely sucked. Yeah. Bank dad. Come on, bank dad. That's where he learned to not listen. Yeah. It's from bank dad. Bank yeah. dad sucked. Man. Bank dad. So I guess we'll do, we, we can do the, what else are we consuming? Yeah, I'd like to start. Yeah, please start. I don't think you started yet. Yeah. Um, I'd like to shout out the record song cycle from 1967 because I think it's, a lot Weird. like Citizen Kane in that this guy was given a blank check Shout to make to something, podcast. and he made something horribly weird that was not successful, particularly when it came out. Yeah. And um, Van Dyke Park's Song Cycle, one of my favorite records. If you don't like the record, then I'm like, yeah, you, you should fully not like it. It's very <laughs> strange. It's very hard to get through. But... Um, yeah, as we were talking just a bit earlier, um, I was thinking, yeah, that's the story of Van Dyke Parks. He was given, in today's money, $300,000 wow. to make a failure of a record that is now considered to be one of the greatest records from the 60s. But, yeah, people do not, yeah, people did not like it at the time. Yeah. You want to go next? Um, I mean... I've, of course, been consuming podcasts like a machine. I listened to a lot of Blank Check this week, the podcast about film, and then I've been participating in The Bracket on Twitter. Um, I, I made a, a Twitter handle for this podcast 
specifically so I could vote in the blank check bracket. Also, follow us on Twitter. What is our what is our handle? I have it's no idea. It's just at decades four, but we're movies for decades podcast, and I'm going to run the Twitter. I'm going to put my uh, citations since I do all this research Ooh, all the time. Cool. Follow us on Twitter. Follow yeah. us on Twitter, everybody. At at. at. <laughs> Decades, decades four. Decades, decades four. four. Yeah. I assume you had to pick no, that. I think, yeah, it was the only thing available. Um, Follow us like at that. decades four. And other things On I've been Twitter. consuming. Yeah. <laughs> other things I've been consuming. I listened to Nine Inch Nails all day yesterday. Okay. What? I like Twin Peaks. I like Nine Inch Nails. It turns out. Uh, see, here's the thing about me. I only get into things when they're like 20 to 15 years after it was cool. That's like. No, I don't want to listen to. Uh, I'm not going to watch Hamilton until about uh, 10 years from now. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> when it's dorky to like it, then I'm going to like it. So there you go. I'm just now discovering Nine Inch Nails. I am not a goth, and yet I find it very atmospheric and cool. So that's what I'm consuming this week. Yeah. So I'm reading I'm reading uh, Bartleby by Herman Melville. Oh. It's a short story or novella. I could use, I could have used something a little shorter after finishing my French Revolution book. Oh wow, you finished it! Congratulations. Finished it. Yeah, so I finished it. So I'm like, I'm gonna read some shorter, even though it's still Herman Melville. Herman Melville, another kind of Orson Welles character, in that Moby Dick is very much a Citizen Kane in terms of it came out and people were like, huh? Moby Dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a weird one. Not... Yeah, very. But um, in one of my favorite books, I guess I'm a Melville fan because now this is the third thing by Melville I've read of all the very different languages. It's official. It's official. And uh, uh, I've also been, you know, my kind of just show that I'm just sort of watching is Buffy. Right. Is Buffy. And I'm, it's just an easy, sh- for one thing, it's an, it's an old school show in that there's so many episodes. So there's not really any powering through to finish Buffy anytime soon. So it's just anytime. So I'll put on Buffy. I guess another random thought. Obviously, I'm still sort of like dealing with, the fact that there's some controversy now about Joss Whedon's legacy and mm-hmm. how he treated some people on that show. Dang. I don't think it's full cancellation thing, but it's definitely like something I'm having to sit with a little bit and also just having to deal with. And also, it's complicating what's what otherwise is something I like about Joss Whedon is how really incredibly vast his influence is and how we're living in Buffy and, uh, and Firefly's world. Yes. We really kind of are. And um, an example is that, so, you know, I'm currently, I'm in the living with my parents phase of my life, in case y'all wonder. And uh, I, w- I watched an episode of Buffy, and then I went upstairs, and mom is watching Stranger Things season three. Mm. She hadn't watched it yet. And I, I, and like one of my first thoughts is watching is I'm like, these poor kids just living on a hell mouth, you know, just, yeah. And, <laughs> like these, I think that all the time. And I'm like, yeah. these poor kids just, they're stuck in this hell mouth. They need to leave. And mm. I'm like, oh yeah, this, that's t- kind of what's what Twin Peaks is. It's yeah. A, it's a hell mouth. It's, it's a hell mouth. mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's summer. What is it? Summerville is what? Sunnydale. Sunnydale. Yeah. <laughs> of course it's called Sunnydale. But yeah, Hawkins is like, yeah, these kids, they just live on a hell mouth and they yeah. just, they just got a deal, you know, yeah. good, good for them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Those those poor kids. You know, that's a big part of what Buffy really is, is like these poor kids. They they're nice they're nice, smart kids and and who deserved to live a good life and they just they live on a hellmouth and they gotta have mortal peril every week and it's just <laughs> you feel bad for them. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Um yeah, so that's 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 what I'm doing. Um Well Is that it? Are I think that's it. Well, hey guys. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, see y'all next time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna stop it. All right. So.